have not met someone who had pursued the path of always the greatest salary who's like, I'm super happy about this. I haven't. I also haven't met someone who only pursued family and like lived in a tent and said they're super happy about it. But it's a balance. And so it's it's finding the um, preferences. It's just differentiating on what's a requirement and what's a preference. And so once you can fit all the requirements and then achieve the highest preferences, that's the winning opportunity. I solemnly swear. Do you solemnly swear? That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Post-Military Podcast, the podcast where we focus on successfully transitioning from one chapter of your life to another. Whether you are a veteran, a service member who is about to leave the military, or uh, just a regular Joe, uh, there's a lot to be learned from this podcast. And today, I am joined by Wayne. Wayne, thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, Billy, happy to be here. And... uh you know, it's going to be fun having this conversation because you and I actually chat quite a bit, right, outside yeah. of this. Even. And uh, if uh, if any of you are, uh, you know, fans of the fans of the YouTube channel and not just the podcast, uh, you will recognize Wayne's face from uh, another series of videos that exists on the post-military playbook, uh, The Discovery Funnel, yeah. which is a course that we put together on uh, how to, you know, find new options and uh, research paths as you prepare to transition from one yeah. chapter of your life to another. So well, I mean, man, Wayne we, was kind enough to come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, we put that together because it was tough. It was hard, yeah. right? Like I got out in uh, May of 19 after thinking I was going to be a lifer in the Marine Corps and mm -hmm. uh, made the transition, right? Actually changed jobs. I'm on my third job now. And I've been out for four, coming up on four years. And then when you got out, you know, since you're my brother-in-law, we spent time together and you learned everything. You know, I was able to pass stuff to you and then you've charted new territories with it also. And so, um, yeah, this is, I'm really excited to be on this conversation, the content we've put out, what we've learned, because man, if, if we could do anything to help others not have to go from scratch like we did, uh, that's great. Yeah. And that that's why I'm here. 100%. Happy to always give time to what you're putting together. I love it. And uh, yeah, thank you for, thank you for making time, even though uh, you're still in the office. So uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's a pretty, it's a nice office. Um, how many MacBook Airs do you normally have stacked on your desk, by the way? Uh, a lot. They're actually, here's all these boxes <laughs> right here. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. I don't know. Boxes. <laughs> I use them to move things around. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you just don't flex on people with having like stacks of just, no, we're a tech laptops. company. We're a super tech company, so we use MacBooks, right? Yeah, book is no, there. I get it. Yeah, no, no, that's, as as any good tech startup should. So let's. Uh, you kind of gave a precursor uh, for everybody um, with you getting out in uh, 2019. Yeah. But let's start from the beginning. Give all of the listeners your background on what you did in the military. Okay. Um, 2014 grad from the Naval Academy commissioned into the Marine Corps and went Marine Corps infantry. So my path after Quantico for nine months at the beginning was I joined first battalion six Marines out of Camp Lejeune and was a cat platoon commander, which stands for combined anti-armor team. Uh, what that was, was eight armored Humvees, 40 Marines. And what we did is we went on the 22nd Mew, 
the Marine Expeditionary Unit is we just get on a ship. We had three of them full of about a thousand Marines. And I was three months off the coast of Yemen and then three months off the coast of Libya. And that was 2017, 16, 2016. Got home, went to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands for the hurricane disaster relief um, for about two months. And then left again on the 26th Mew, and this time with uh, 2nd Battalion, 6th Marine. So changed units was the company XO for Golf Company. And so it was that second in command of like, we were reinforcing some extras, so like 200 some. And when we got back from that deployment, that was another six months off the coast of Libya, still out of Camp Lejeune. I was promoted to captain and then ran operations for the battalion. So I was the S3 Alpha, the assistant operations officer. So that was running ops and supervising that for the companies for kind of like one month out to six months out for the unit. While the OPSO was like a lot deeper than that. And then usually the companies and the XOs for those different companies really took over for those last few weeks as they did things. And so that's what I did in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I got to the point where I knew I either wanted to get further into the Marine Corps or get out. And that was not to stay with the conventional forces. So I either wanted to try my hand and, and you know, give my shot towards going to ITC and trying to go to MARSOC, right? Seeing if I could make it or uh, getting out in full. I just wasn't really inspired on the future of the Marine Corps infantry and the cyclical nature of what we were doing post Iraq, Afghanistan. You know, I was never in those places and it just was like, ah, I wasn't so into it anymore. I loved the Marines. I love the Marine Corps. Um, but the future just wasn't that exciting. And then also tagged on at the time, they're like, the only choice we're giving you next is to go to uh, boot camp, and you're going to go be a serious commander. I was like, I really don't want to do that. And also, this doesn't seem so awesome to go do the same thing again in a few more years and again and after that and again after that. Um, so that was kind of like the pull out was the lack of inspiration, you could say. That was like the pulling me out was like, what else is out there? And then the push out was what I felt, which is the nature of the Marine Corps. It has to be this way. I was like, I just don't want to do that shit also. So that was the, the professional me, the personal me, my wife and I had been married for a few years. Everything was pretty good, but I'd been gone a shit ton. And I was like, I kind of want to be around a little bit more. And I also had personal goals of starting a family. And for me and our vision of what that looked like, it wasn't as compatible with the Marine Corps as we had kind of like wrote or like shaped together. And so the more we learned about it, it's like that, okay, we can see the future of being the Marine Corps. It's like, I'm not sure we want to do that. And so I started to get out. That's when I decided not to uh, re-up, man. I remember I was off the coast of Libya sitting in my little shit room with three other of my buddies. I know exactly who they are. Sitting there around this little computer when I clicked the button and said like, no. I'm not, I'm not taking career designation. I'm not staying in. And I did it and immediately went outside and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you that. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Pitch black in the Sidra somewhere. I don't know. Had you, had you at that point when you decided to click that button, what kind of preparation had you done for getting out of the service or was that kind of your like burn yeah. the ships moment? And yeah, I'm like, like I, now I have to figure it out. None. 
I had done nothing. Okay. I had done okay. nothing. And I was getting out in like, say, I can't remember. It was like eight months after that. Mm. Um, and, okay. So talk, got, talk me through. July, I got home in July of 18. No, I had about a year. No, I don't know. Okay. July, July to May plus terminal leave. So like eight months, eight, let's go with this eight months from when I said no to then I was getting out. And how much time from when you said no off the coast of Libya to when you got home? I think it was like a month or two. So I, I so you really only out, had getting out to going. I had like six months mm-hmm. to get ready. Okay. Gotcha. And walk me through what that six month preparation time looked like. Well, I was still incredibly gung ho. And so at first I went on this massive journey on like trying everything out. So it first started with beginning an application for the FBI and the CIA. Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to get out, but I still love the gun club. I want to be close to it. And if I am in one of those organizations, I'm not going to be gone a ton. Well, CIA, that was foolish, right? Cause you're definitely going to be gone. FBI, perhaps that'd be like the Marine Corps at home. Um, so I started that application process, went through the first two phases and decided not to do that. Uh, but that's when I got home. So I started that uh, when I was out to sea. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, do what, you know, the officer folk do. I'm going to go get my MBA. That was one avenue that I started focusing on. And then also I was like, well, I need to learn about business stuff. So I started reading business books. That was like, immediate was uh start the government one read business books that seemed like chinese to me and then uh should i study to go get an mba which you know shortly we'll skip that part i was like shortly then i was like no i don't i don't want to do this because i didn't have the gi bill i didn't you know school was kind of like i don't know let's just go get in the fight here and figure it out first and then go to school if it made sense okay Okay. so and that was yeah. kind of so like out to see, but then I had no internet access really. So that's why I was like a lot of books because the, the internet was no good. Okay. So you, so when you were looking at the CIA, FBI, and then you're reading all of your business books, you find out that the MBA is for the birds, uh, which well, I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's good. It's good for some people, but it's not, uh, it's, it's a really, large commitment. What I have come to, to find is that, if you want to, you should just know what you want to, you should do the best you can to think you know what you want to do. If you think you know what you want to do is high finance, private equity, venture capital, like all, all this like high money stuff, you have to earn the way in. And the way in is through an MBA program, period. There are some like tricky ways and some other stuff around, but if you know what you want to go after, you want to be a CFO one day. You're like, I love this finance stuff. It just becomes more difficult to get to the top if that's what you're trying to do. So if you know exactly what you're trying to do, it makes sense. If you don't know, it's not always worth the investment. That's my opinion as a non-MBA guy. And here's the tough part because... If you talk to MBA people, many of them are like, you got to do it. And you talk to people who didn't go, they'll say, you don't do it. And the truth is somewhere in the middle between both of these. And so for me and my path, it was not the best. And I'm very happy with where I've gone and where I am. Um, And I'm sure for others that they're happy with it too. It just wasn't 
I didn't see that as a necessary stepping stone on where I wanted to go. I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago and uh, he was another Amazonian. I'm a, I'm, I work at Amazon and we have a concept that we talk about a lot called one-way and two-way door decisions. And all it means is a one-way door decision is something you can't walk back. Two-way door decisions is something you can walk back very easily. Um, in an MBA, starting that process and going in debt is very much so like a one-way door decision. Like You can stop, but it's going to cost you money. So it's harder to walk back that decision. Yeah. Um, and so I, I agree with what you're saying that you need to treat it with a little bit more uh, purpose and care than trying out different like internships or programs that you can walk back rather easily. And also just do the damn math problem. Do the math problem to like, okay, $200,000 in debt. Let's just go with like one of the M7 programs, $200,000 debt, no GI bill. Okay. Or you're working those two years. Let's say you're making something else. I mean, who knows what, but then you're not making money those two years. Plus you're also going down the hole. So you're going to go down the hole at least $300,000, probably closer to 400. All right. And now we then start adding this back up and these linear paths start to like scale, but like, where's the inflection point? And does it make sense to like reach that 10 years out, five years out, whatever it is, but do the math problem because money uh, is real. <laughs> well, I don't know, right? Like money's money, but you got to know what you're uh, signing up for. You mentioned before we kind of move on to talk about the rest of your transition time, you mentioned like, if you want to be a CFO or like high finance, like you want to do an MBA, uh, what are some other examples in your opinion? Um, if a listener has an idea of what they want to do, what are some other areas where you would recommend that they start seriously looking at an MBA um, so that they can kind of, if they're going to take Wayne's opinion, what is what are some places where it's like, do X must have MBA? Because to give some background real, real fast um, to everyone listening, and we'll get into this later, uh, Wayne currently is the chief of staff of a startup, and he does a significant amount in sales, business development, and company strategy, and does not have an MBA. Those are all very, very MBA type things, but he does not do that. And so I just want to get your opinion because you're very much doing MBA style work without a, doing one. So I'd like to get your opinion on that. Yeah. The MBA is not hard and fast required in a binary sense to do anything. It has utility though. Um, with my experience in executive search, where I was recruiting and placing C-suite officers, I would say the largest outlier would have been someone in finance without an MBA. That was it. Sales, no. HR, no. Operations, no. Finance, that's just where I saw it the most, right? Because you need like this accounting aspect, GDPR. Um, well, that's, that's, I'm sorry, not GDPR. Um, generally accepted, whatever, accounting, right? Like all this other accounting shit. That is highly specialized training. See, I don't even know, and I don't care. But highly specialized training and education to do like international tax work, like all these other things I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want to deal with that. I want someone else to deal with that. And so um, that would be the one thing, like if you figure out you want to be a finance nerd, it just, that seems like a credential that's necessary to make it the distance. So for you, 
you get off the boat, you're back from your deployment, and then what does that last six months of your time in service preparing to get out look like yeah. for you? So I had a great mentor at the time, and his name was uh, is Carl. And what he did is he gave me just coaching, right? And the coaching really was just an accountability buddy. And Carl was an executive search guy. He taught me a few little tricks and phrases to ask. Like, uh, you know, you can reach out to anyone and say, I know you're busy, but I'd be grateful for any portion of your time, right? To meet for 15 minutes to learn about how you've been successful. Like that phrase there, I learned from him and I use it all the time. And that's what helped me. So I came at this thinking, I have no idea how to get this all done. The world is much too vast. And so I took a spreadsheet and I came up with like five criteria. I was like, I want to learn about operations. I want to learn about consulting. I want to learn about going directly into big, bigger businesses and like software ones, like th these categories. And I started to dice it up. In many ways, I use like the Marine Corps planning and training that I had done. Run a reconnaissance first, right? So BAM says, begin planning, arrange reconnaissance. So I'm going to create this chart, make the reconnaissance. So go onto Google and I found companies. Then, uh, AM, see, I'm such a Marine. Complete the plan, right? Put it together. I'm going to reach out to these people, issue the order, and then do it, and then supervise and like go through these things. And so for me, it was I need to have a thousand conversations, which I wasn't going to be a thousand, a few hundred with people to find jobs that are not posted. I needed executive sponsorship from someone in an organization to say, I want to bet on this guy because. As a military person, I did not have the skills to immediately be effective. Almost all transitioning military people do not have the skill set to be immediately effective. What they do have is the talent to become incredibly effective. And so as I was going through this recruiting, I learned all these things. I needed to create relationships. I needed to create executive sponsorship. Someone that listened to me, saw me as great potential and was like, I want him because I'm going to groom that person into being who they can be. And that's something that I think is, is, is often missed with our peers in the military space is like, oh, you should hire me because I have skills or but you should, you know, like I should, I should step into a role or your program. The reason they have programs is because you don't have skills. That's why there's the program. What you have is talent. And so you have to communicate the talent, you have to communicate the potential, your creativity, your effectiveness, your discipline. These are the things that set you apart, your dedication, your commitment, that kind of stuff. Communicate that so it can be translated into applicable potential to then have the skills to be effective. And that is what I was constantly doing in these, in these conversations was like, let me tell you about what I did in the Marine Corps, it's where I took complicated situations and found clarity in them and then pursued a plan to take things out in, in small chunks. That's who people want to hire. They want to hire someone that's a fire and forget weapon system, the javelin. Like there's a problem over there. Go figure it out. Shoot the tank. It goes up, boom, gets it. That's who I want to hire. And so you just communicated those things. So that's what I did. I had this huge spreadsheet. And I just started reaching out people that had got out of the Marine Corps before, people in the Navy, graduates, people that had programs, reaching out to military recruiters with backgrounds, just saying like, hey, I want to learn about how you have been successful. That was my way in. 
I didn't ask him for a job. I didn't ask him about a job. How are you successful? That allowed a conversation. At the end of the conversation, if I knew there was a job opening, I'd say, hey, I saw this job opening on your site. Would you be able to introduce me to the hiring manager? I'd love to learn more. Not give me the job. And so you you pursue this learning angle. And before you know it, you're going to have offers in your lap. And so that's mm. how I approached it. In different segments, with different geographic outcomes, with different uh, function outcomes, with different industry outcomes, because I wanted to feel everything out and then have options to choose the best one for my family and myself. When you talk about executive sponsorship and you also talk about this idea of building building this like talking to a lot of people to have someone sponsor you to essentially overcome your lack of skills but yeah. advocate for your for the preponderance of talent that you have. Yeah. How did you figure that out? Like, was that something that you, yeah. Um, Like, did you just know that, uh, in like when you got off the ship, that's like, you just knew that was going to be your strategy. Did Carl tell you like, what, how did you build, how did you build that come to the awareness of that strategy? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I've talked about it so much now. It's hard to remember the creation of, or like the learning moment of that approach. Um, I would say that it was a combination of recognizing that when I applied to something, it just went into the abyss and that there's a better way to do things. And so like, here, here's kind of what I think this came from is in the Marine Corps infantry, you're trained that I always need to out cycle. We talk about this like idea of the OODA loop and this, we would say cycle and out cycle and to think faster. I wanted to think faster. I wanted to think better. I wanted to be more lethal than anyone else because the difference between good and great when you recognize it is huge and it's a ton of effort, but sometimes it's just little things. It's little details that you go, that person is great compared to that person's good. And so with the idea of knowing that it was a hyper-competitive environment, how could I find the edge over anyone? And so where are these edges found? Right? It's like any given Sunday. Where is this inch found on the field? The inch is found with an HD camera. The inch is found with better lighting. The inch is found with a microphone. The inch is found with a fully built out profile. It's found with reaching out and saying, hey, I'd like to introduce myself. Okay. That's where these inches are found for me to edge out anyone else. And so I think in that process of like, how can I, because it's a competition. Okay. It's a competition. They're not just fine looking to someone who's good enough. They're going to take the best person. And so if you apply to a role and you don't hear back and you don't get it, you're like, oh, why not? I had everything they needed. You're right. You probably did. But guess what? There was someone that was better than you. They believed in more than you or they felt more comfortable with. And so the way to win now is the competition is you need to make people feel more comfortable, more confident, and more excited about your candidacy for the opportunity in any way possible. And so you have to win. Now, we also now, so that's like one phase of it. You also have to understand the game that's happening on the backside of, of applying to places. 
So as a recruiter on the inside that I had a chance to see is that if you talk to a recruiter, this recruiter has an incentive structure. They're required to fill 10 roles, a quarter, 10 roles a month. And they're told by hiring managers, I want them to look like this and talk like this, not look, but like they need this background and this experience. And I want five years of this and two years of this. And I want this type of background, go find them. And if you don't find them, the recruiter gets, you know, told they're not performing. Well, as a military background, you're probably not going to fit the requirements that the recruiter is looking for. And it's not the recruiter's responsibility to find diamonds in the rough. They're looking for easy ways to win. So you're going to get passed over. You're going to get passed over. So you have to go around that. You have to find ways past it. And so you do research online. You figure out who the hiring manager is. You introduce yourself. And then you get that executive sponsorship pushing you down to the recruiter compared to through the recruiter up. And it's this big game of like chess, you could say, or like judo of navigating a system that's in place. You need to rise above it and, and navigate with it in, in many ways, I'd say. You've talked about two things that I think are really interesting. The first one you said is that if you're not getting hired, it's because they're looking to hire the best person not the person who just meets the criteria. Yeah. And then the second one is it's not in the incentive structure of the recruiter to hire things that they don't understand. Yeah. And hard. an interesting, it, it's tough. Uh, the interesting question, the question I want to ask you is from an emotional and mental perspective, what advice would you give to a service member who is getting out that would say, for example, they've been in for 20 years. They've had a very decorated career. They've done amazing things for the service of this nation. And none of their stuff translates to mm. any corporate role. Like, And them, they're at that person, based off of what you just said, is it a disadvantage based off of the criteria that you just listed out? And I agree with you. And so what is your advice to that person to emotionally and mentally deal with the fact that even though they do have all of this phenomenal service in their life, it's not going to translate over. And that's just what it is. Like, yeah. I understand how you you've laid out how to I practically in, get yeah, over I it. I want to key in on a few important words. Yeah. It can translate, but it won't be uh like transcribed right it won't be copy and pasted it needs to be translated over so the the advice is is like just accept that you were a star athlete in one game and now you're playing a different game but you're still an athlete right that's the talent thing and so you're going from a 20-year career of playing in the NFL and you're some, let's just say you're tall and a receiver, okay? 20 years there, you're great. You really can't go and say, look at how many catches I have. I'm going to be a great basketball player. You need to talk about all of these like attributes about you. Great team player, hard worker, works in the gym, studies his ass off, can do uh, you know like a 40-yard dash and the jump and like all these other things that the combine would be, you, you take, that's the talent, over to the new place. You could talk about 
what you've done and bring it over. So look, the advice is the advice is you got to be humble and just take the, a big bite of humble pie on like you were a winner in that game. You're in a new game now. And so the reason you were fantastic and have a 20 year illustrious career, great career is because you were adaptable. You figured the game out and you played it really well and you played hard. So the advice is like, you're in a new game now, go be that adaptable person, go be that winner, that champion, the person who finds the edges, right? Who finds the inches in this new place and start playing the game that's you have to play and to let go and be thankful of the game you used to play. And this also plays into like this identity thing too, on what you step out of. Like I, I miss the Marine Corps. It was a beautiful time. It was beautiful memories, tough, big, good, bad, all the rest, but it was great. And I don't miss the Marine Corps as what it was or what it is today. I miss what it was to me then. I miss that time, that experience. If I were to go back, it'd be totally different. And it's, it's that acceptance and humble pie. Like that was the game you were playing. You're good at it. Let's be thankful for it. Let's take why you were good at it and now bring it into the new game of your new experience in the next chapter of your civilian career. When you were doing all of these things, talking to all these people, um, what do you think was the thing you struggled with the most in this process of transitioning? Not necessarily the emotional aspects of it, which we'll talk about later, but mm. in terms of the mechanics of getting out, what, what do you think you struggle with the most? So what did I struggle with the most? The mechanics of getting out. Um, I mean, the process, the out processing of the military was easy because they do it for tens of thousands of people a year. You just get your ticket and follow the process. Um, you know, there's just such uncertainty about where to, what, what to do with my time. So like when I got out, it's like, well, shit, where, where do I live? Do I, how do I drive to work? What do I wear? How early do I show up? Um, how do I now like win at this game? So I'll tell you that's the, the mechanical part of it that was tough is like you just one day you start and in the Marine Corps, they're like, here you go. Welcome. You show up here for formation. Then you go like this and I'm going to teach you how to eat. I'm going to show you where to walk. And I'm going to walk your butt to the bed. That is going to be your bed and all of this. And then in civilian life, they're like, it is what it is. It is what it is. Figure it out. Like, uh, let us know if you need help. And you're like, well, if I go ask for help, then I look like I'm incompetent maybe <laughs> on certain things. So, yeah, I would say that it's a, it's, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's like parking. It's like in the middle of nowhere. Like it, there's, uh, yeah, wide open uncharted territory. Yeah. Wide open, wide open Marine Corps, like navigating a river. Like you just follow it. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're like done with 20 years or done with five years. Cause you're just going where it goes. And then out here, it's like a big ocean. Like, where do you want to go? Like, I don't know. The analogy that I like to use is if you take all the pieces of your life and decide where to assign them in the military, your life is this just like one giant monolith of stuff. Like it's all kind of, it all exists under the same thing, which is the mm. military. And then 
you get out and now it's this like your life is now a mosaic where you get to decide what all the different pieces are like and you get to decide where the big pieces and like what the little pieces are uh but that but you have to decide what all of the pieces are and so for people who are used to just having one monolithic structure for dealing with all of those little nuances it's it's really tough and was that stuff something you knew was going to happen like did you have no. any yeah no and no i like yeah so let's say it's like with this analogy here is i had this like yeah. mosaic i was given to me and i got this like mm -hmm. little corner to fill out myself which is like what i did on a saturday saturday that was it um not too far because you can't be too far away from base now right unless you're unless you get yep. approved, unless your daddy says it's okay um and then you know you you step out and you think you still have this mosaic. And then what happens is like over time, you start to recognize that there's all this vacancy, um, which that's where I think there's a big uh, divergence on people going, oh my gosh, I have lost so much and it's terrible. Or they go, that mosaic that I was, was amazing. And now I have this one. And because I had that, I can now build this new thing. And yes, it's tough, but I'm going to build it. Um, so I recognized that probably, geez, like two months in, cause I was like, who are my friends now? I didn't have that many friends cause I moved to a city where we didn't know anybody. Um, what do I want to, what hobbies do I want to have? Cause I didn't have time for hobbies in the military. It's like, what do I, what do you do with free time? What is free time? When do I, if I, if I'm done with work, can I just like not go? You know, like, can I go? You know, stuff like that. So, yeah, that was definitely a similar experience. Do you think there was anything that anyone could have told you where you would have believed them to start accounting for, make like for to account for all of those small things while you were preparing for your transition? Would you believe um, them? Yeah, you know, I think I would have believed them. Yeah, and it would be helpful to like, hey, you should just be prepared. Like, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to do just fine. Um, that perhaps would have been interesting. Now, my wife and I, you know, um, we had put together sort of a plan, not overly, but kind of like subvertly on how we were going to build that mosaic of our life. And so when we moved here, the first thing was like, we we're finding a church. We we're finding a church. We're Christians. We believe in Jesus. And so it was like, let's go find community. And so this, the first like big rock we wanted to put in there, the big piece was like, I want to find a church and a community that's built around that principle and that fundamental pillar of our lives. Boom. And so we went church shopping. Shoot. We did. We went to two Sunday school classes at a church to like find people compared to even going to service. <laughs> it's like meet people. And that was one, bam, we put that in. And that's like, we also want to find a place of outgoing athletic people. So we went to a CrossFit gym tried a few, boom, found one. And so those two then started building out friends, started building out community that we jump back and forth between now, even to this day. And then the, it built from there. Um, so we put a plan together, right? If you just show up and hope you meet people, you don't, okay? Get off your phone. It's not a community on your phone. Facebook is not a community. Instagram, all this stuff is not a community. You need to meet people in their face. 
go to networking events, join a nonprofit, like just show up, start talking to people. You have to meet people in person. That's how you make friends and fill this out. And it's not going to be filled out online, gaming, any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was the plan we put together. Kind of, kind of hurtful filling out. because I play video games that you would say that, but uh, I get yeah. it as much well, as that really, hurts me. I think that when you move to California, look, we could do like a little bit of an autopsy here. When you move to California after being in Mississippi, right? You have all your friends in Mississippi in the Air Force. Move to California. Yeah. Don't know anyone. My 30, you know, across the country view of your experience was that you started first with the easy thing, which was gaming and not going out. And that's, it becomes lonely. And then observing you guys, you then decided to, you know, get back into your faith and like church. And now I'm watching you start to fill out more components of this. And then also you started this podcast. You found that this was something that you were interested in, like, boom, there's another one. And so it's just, it's a journey, right? You've been out there for, for sure two years now. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, it, I completely agree with you that it needs to be a holistic, there needs to be a real holistic look at your life mm. and you, there are 100% if you're talking about the values that you align yourself with or the communities that you put yourself with, there are certainly tiers to those things and the purpose that they give to your life and the value that they pour into your existence. Yeah. And I think that things like having a gaming community is super great. great. I understand. However, I'm not however, dig however no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, I know. I know. I was, I was trying to be funny. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but to your point, it is, you can't live your life in a room just talking to people online as human beings. We crave, uh, we need to have our tribe. We want to be around people. We want to, we need that energy. And you also need people around you who can be accountable to you to check on you because in your transition, like you're going to get sad and you need people to be there to pick you up yeah. when you're, Someone uh, when you're alone. So I'm going to help you move yeah, the couch. Exactly. You know, like mm -hmm. little things like this are uh, important. And here's, here's my advice about this. If you try to go build everything at once, it's way too much. Just do one. I challenge you for anyone who's, you know, for anyone who's struggling with this stuff, like, Hey, I don't have friends. I don't have a group. I challenge you just to like take one step towards a group. Mm -hmm. Just one, just try one. You don't need to try three or four or five, just one and go to that one event mm -hmm. one time. That's it. Just do that thing. And then, consider it and do an after action or whatever. Think about it afterwards. Um, because it's only through those single steps. Do you go the distance? Like, can you put it all together? It's just one piece at a time. I know it sounds silly. I know it sounds silly, but I do think to myself often the old adage of like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's it. And a lot of the transition, if you look at the whole body of it, it's way too much. It's intimidating, it's crushing, it's difficult. But you think of it as like, I need to talk to four people this week. You can do that, you can achieve that. And that's how you do it. One step at a time, one bite at a time. You can eat the whole damn thing. I don't think what you're saying is crazy at all. I mean, you're, you are certainly not the first person to come onto this podcast and talk about either A, their advice is to 
change in, de in degrees, not change immediately. Or there's anecdotes of people who changed everything at once and then go, that was entirely too much. And mm. I think that I was, I am someone who was a victim of that, where I moved, everything shifted all at once for me. And some of that was out of my control, certainly, but the massive swap of what I had versus what I, where I am now was, was mm. just crazy. And if I could, if I was the master of my own fate in every single way, mm. I would have changed slower than I did. But I think yours is actually the hardest of all because you're dual spouse or like dual military. And yeah. so when I cut, it was like a breakup and I moved to a different country and you're like, yeah, it's hard, but I don't have to see her anymore. My old mistress, the Marine Corps, I don't have to be teased by her and tempted and heard about it. And you know, like none of that. She's gone. She's done. We broke up. Yeah. It hurts, but she gone. You on the other hand is you broke up with the air force or she broke up with you. But then because your wife is still in, you're around it. You're constantly reminded of what it was and you're not allowed in the group anymore. You're out. So I think that that's actually more difficult than the like breakup that I had of like, I'm leaving you. And then I moved away. You're like, she's like, Hey, you're out of the club and you're also going to hang around now. So for anyone who's in that too, like, it's okay that it's tough, right? It's okay. That's that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a burn the ships kind of guy. And like, we were out, we're out. I didn't join the reserves. I'm not doing that stuff. I'm like, I'm done. Next thing. Which I think is probably, I, I don't know. I think that for some people burning the ships is probably for the best. And then I've talked to other people who did their time in the reserves or did their time in the guard. And then they, they did that. And then they said, you know what, it's time to like actually leave. And they kind of weaned themselves off of the military yeah. almost. And I think that I, I agree. I think that, um, for me, I don't know. I almost am appreciative of the fact that I still am tied to the military in some way. Uh, mm. And this is why it gave in the days that I felt real lost. I could always just go on base. And I felt like as I was, I mean, this is gonna sound real dumb, but when <laughs> I went on to base and I handed the person, my ID to go through the gate, I just felt normal again. Like I was yeah. going to work. And it was like that moment of just, ah, this is familiar. This is nice. And I still had that if I needed it. And that's mm -hmm. why I still work out on base because I feel like it's that moment of familiarity that I really needed. And I've done a much, I'm doing way better separating myself from that. But in those moments, it's, it is nice to still be somewhat tied to it mm -hmm. um but i i do also recognize that there is going to be a time when my wife is going to get out of the military and i'm going to have to really decouple myself from this thing and that will most likely be difficult billy but it's not that something that i have comes, to handle right now i'm gonna be here like this and I'm going to catch you because yeah. hopefully you move and to Dallas. And you're going to tell me to move to Texas. That's right. You're going to move to Dallas <laughs> and, and live with me. Live by me. Yeah. So exactly. Say, no, I'm going to live I'll with say, you, bro. I'll say, let go, Billy. And I'll, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then I, I'll catch exactly. you. Exactly. Know, embrace it. Like, yeah. Come here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just come like here, that. Come here, little baby Billy. Like that. Yeah. You gain a lot of practice with that too. Now that yeah, you have yeah, two I got kids. two little boys. So, yeah, yeah. you fit right in. You behave just like them. Uh, oh, I know. I yeah. really do. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, I think it's good, man. I think that it's cool to talk to people about like this, you breaking up with the Air Force, the Air Force breaking up with you. Like it's it's very interesting to get people's take on it because some people are very much so like, I chose to get out. And so it's easier because it was my decision and I'm leaving on my terms. And other people, I'm more of the mindset of like, the Air Force broke up with me. So I don't, ha I never had to choose. So it was totally out of my control. Yeah. And like, that was really good for me. And I don't think I could have made the decision to get out uh, yeah. by myself. Hey, and Billy, so, someone, yeah. Yeah. Something just came to me that, that was like critical, critical for my marriage was that in the time where I was trying to decide to go further in or get out is that there was something in retrospect, I recognized that I would have would have held most would have most likely held resentment towards my wife if I had wanted to stay in and she had pressured us to get out. Mm. I would have re probably resented her for who knows how long for making me pressured into making that decision. Okay. And so what happened one night, I mean, like she was crying. I'm like crying pretty much. Yeah, I was, I was crying. Because I, it was just so damn stressful trying to figure out to stay in or get out. Because all I wanted to do was to, in that time, was to stay in and, and like go harder and try to join Marsoc. Um, and I could see her just like not interested in it. And she goes like, "I'll move back to Memphis and we'll just live apart." And then so like and now I'm foreseeing getting divorced and the marriage falling apart. This is all happening at once, and it's like massively stressful. And I was very, I was gifted. With her saying, eventually, I just had this moment, and she goes, if you want to stay in, we'll stay in, and I got your back. We'll figure it out. And I'm telling you, it's in that moment that she said, I got your back. If you want to stay in, we can stay in. I immediately knew in my heart that I had to get out. It was very strange. Um, but it was in that moment that she goes, like, I'm with you that I knew I could get out. And what I had in the back of my mind was what my platoon sergeant said to me when we were off the coast of Yemen this time. He goes, because we were talking about this, like getting, or not Yemen, Libya the second time. Um, he's like, hey, just because she'll follow you through hell doesn't mean you should take her there. And so for me, I, I, had, I, I am so thankful that that happened. You can't really ask for it. Maybe you can but that like released such a potential of resentment that then was like, she submitted kind of like that to the direction that I was trying to lead, lead us. Right. And our, our union, our marriage. And it was in that moment. I was like, I can't do that. So we got to get out. And that was just something that came to me as we were talking through this, like breaking up thing. And is it, man, there's just, like so much packed in here that you're trying to navigate. Well, Something that I think is really cool with that and is this idea of what are you going to ground your identity in? And there are certain 
things that you ground your identity in that translate from chapter of your life to chapter of your life and also can resist the peaks and valleys that life generally throws at you. Mm. And one of those things is family. Um, And I think that in that moment when your wife says, hey, I will support you, like that is a genuine showing of the fact that grounding your identity and like she is your family has your back period dot. And the Marine Corps doesn't like, that's just not what it, that's just not what it is. And so you in that moment, maybe subconsciously, I think you in that moment realize like, Oh, well, if she's willing to like do this for me, then this is the thing that I need to prioritize Yeah, because that's a level of self-sacrifice I'm not going to get from anywhere else, which I think is incredibly important for people to realize that when you're, if you decide to ground your identity in things that are transient or specifically things that end with a specific chapter of your life, primarily being a job, then the second that that job ends, so does your identity. And if that job sucks, you suck. If the job is great, you are great, but it is a thing that is so affected by the peaks and valleys of life that you have no control over that yeah if you choose to go in that direction you're gonna have a bad time and so i think you made a really good choice and i i mean looking at you now i think you i mean you've got two beautiful sons you are incredibly happy in dallas and it you chose well at least from what i can see and i think that that is commendable well yeah yeah and billy what you're saying like choosing well is a daily decision it's a daily decision to uh, wake up with gratitude, to be thankful for the you know breath in our lungs, for the lot that we have today, um, and to just you know go go win the day, mm-hmm. and make everyone that you spend time with. You know, like I stand on the shoulders of giants, man. I learned so much from other people. It's all I did. Right? All of us did, and so just being having a reverence for that. And moving forward, you know, like winning that moment, doing well and and things like that. So, yeah. It's awesome. I definitely agree. I love it. Something that I want to shift to is you talked about making this life kind of like mosaic plan with your wife when you were transitioning out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I want to talk about specifically, what did that look like? How did you put that together? And what did the end of your time in the Marine Corps look like? And where did you end up? Talk, talk me through that. Oh, this like mosaic thing. How'd you come up with the plan? And then what did that end up looking like in execution? Oh, uh, well, the plan wasn't put together until I realized that there was vacancy in the mosaic. (laughs) It wasn't like, once we move to Dallas, we're going to go to church and then we're going to go to CrossFit gym and then we're going to do this. And then we're going to go like take a fly fish, a free yeah. fly fishing class at Bass Pro Shops. Specifically what I'm talking about, not the little pieces, but mm-hmm. when you when you were looking for a job, you had specific criteria that you came up with. with your oh, wife. yeah, that's right. My criteria. What yeah. did that look what did that look like? And then where did you end up? Oh, got it. Got it. Based off. I know everyone knows you live in Dallas. I want to know how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had three criteria that I put together because you have to get 
really skilled at telling your story quickly. Here's what I do. Here's where I am. This is what I'm looking for. Can you help me sort of thing? And my three were, I wanted a place to receive mentorship. So this executive sponsorship, I wanted a place to learn. So where was I exposed to things that I could really gain from? And the last thing I desired was a place to earn a long leash because I had become very uh, disgruntled by the time and grade requirement of the Marine Corps because I felt like I could do a lot more and not wait my turn for years and years. Mm -hmm. And so I used those three criteria to assess all the opportunities. Will I have dedicated mentorship here? Will I be able to learn a lot here? And will I be able to earn a long leash? And when you look at different opportunities, those are three great criteria or ways to lenses to like put on and, and view things. And so Billy, you're at Amazon. That one is less of an earn a long leash place, right? Huge organization, very segmented and like progression and things like that. But you need that in certain cases. If you go to a smaller organization like I did in professional services, it was a big company, but the org I was in was very small. I was able to earn a long leash and, and gain latitude from the senior partner that I worked for. And so I had like his sponsorship and education. And for myself personally, as I looked at opportunities, I had opportunities to go to Accenture as a consultant, Amazon, Beacon Roofing, some entry-level uh, banking opportunities for veteran programs. And then the last was Corn Ferry, which is an executive search group or agency or executive search <laughs> public company, huge, that uh, is a recru recruiters for C-suite officers. And so specifically, I came to Dallas and worked for a Naval Academy graduate who was a senior client partner. So at the very top level of this industry in professional services that ran the global software practice. And so this gave me an opportunity to have someone who had made it to the top, be my sponsor, a place to learn about software because I didn't have a tech background and also about all the different functions because I was going to recruit CEO, CIO, CXO. F-O-R-O-T-O-I-O, -O -O, like whatever, those different people. And then to build a practice with him. And that's how I selected to go to Dallas. Um, it was the number one role, but at the same time, it was also the most complimentary geographic place for all the other requirements that my family and I, which was just my wife at the time, knew we wanted. Centrally located in the country because all my siblings are all over in the military at the time. Um, nice weather, right? My wife didn't want to go up north where it's snowy. And then also a metropolitan area for us to be able to access the entertainment and resources that we were interested in. And that's how I ended up in Dallas from family requirements, professional, uh, desires matched. And that's why we chose this one. I think that the big thing that I want to highlight with what you just said is you matched your professional requirements to your family requirements. And I think for people out there listening, and you and I talk about this in the discovery funnel as well, but there's a lot. Uh, and we also talked about it with like the mosaic concept. There's a lot of things that go into deciding where you want to live and what you want to do with your life when you get out of the military that aren't just what's going to pay my bills. Yeah. And you have to account for all of those things. Otherwise you're going to, it's going to, it's going to suck. It's going to yeah. be like, you're not, you're not going to choose well. Well, you just uh, go after to money. Say the least. You know, I have not met someone who had pursued the path of always the greatest salary 
who's like, I'm super happy about this. I haven't. I also haven't met someone who only pursued family and like lived in a tent and said they're super happy about it, but it's a balance. And so it's, it's finding the, um, preferences. It's just differentiating on what's a requirement and what's a preference. And so once you can fit all the requirements and then achieve the highest preferences, that's the winning opportunity. So when you made it to Dallas, you're working for Corn Ferry. Mm -hmm. um, what happens? Well, first, what was it like for you in that first period of your life in Dallas, uh, separating your identity from the Marine Corps? Because you had been all military since you had graduated from high school. What was that initial separation? time period like for you, um, emotionally speaking? Yeah. You know, I had, uh, emotionally prepared for it for quite a while. Right. I mean, from the moment that I clicked that button saying like, I'm getting out when I was deployed, that's what, that started the emotional change. But at the same time, like the separation doesn't have to be a full separation. Right? I, I embody many Marine Corps attributes and stereotypes now. I mean, shit, look at my haircut, right? Like, I don't, I haven't had a different haircut in the last 10 years. It's like, this will probably carry. Looks on. good, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, but I, I approach problems in the same way I did in the Marine Corps. So, like, it's, it's going to sound so, I don't know, but like, she's still with me right now so much, right? But it's like the parts that shouldn't move forward. There's parts that should move forward, and there's parts that should not move forward. So, but many, 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 many things, actually, I'd say the majority of things move forward and that I behave on and act upon today. You know, first in, last out. Uh, understanding if now first in, last out to a point, because also are we working to a uh, standard or are we working to a time and knowing when to make those decisions and being hyper detailed and critical about presentations. I don't know, like all these things that I feel like I learned in the Marine Corps are here today. And so the identity part was, I think, solved for me when I recognize that. And instead of thinking of it as like a loss that I'm not around that group anymore, but shifting it to gratitude. Like I'm thankful for all of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. It was a good time. It's good that I had it. And now I am here. And so I'd say like that, that transit, that's what helped me the most was just having, creating a sense of gratitude compared to a sense of um, separation from it. Cause you're not, you're different. It's like you're separated. You don't wear the uniform anymore, but so much of it is valuable and having that gratitude for it. So how did you decide what to leave and what to keep with you as you moved out of the military and into uh, uh, the civilian world? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Things that felt like they fit and things that felt like they didn't fit. What didn't fit? How you work with, work with people. Right in the Marine Corps, in, in the military, you have ranks and you're like, hey, you're doing this. No, but look, the best people in the Marine Corps never just told you to do stuff. Sometimes it had to be that way when, you know, you had some like, unfortunate situation, but the best situation in command was when you're like, Hey, we need to do this. You guys are going to take this chunk. I'm going to take this chunk. Um, 
some of the biggest differences though were just like you can't call someone at 7 p.m and say like hey what do you think about this let's talk through it or like you need to stay late it just didn't happen as much there's more like no i'm leaving and i'm going to do this later and it becomes much more like an exchange of goods like my time for this money i'm exchanging it and then we're done that's the contract that's what jobs are like compared to the expectations of like you're always on call and if someone calls this 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 like you're going to pick it up but this changes from roll to roll like i'm always on call now in this startup world so you know i'm not really sure i i, ne I didn't have that many troubles of like that's bad don't do that moving forward because i don't look like the military the things that they do are primarily good it's primarily good um Maybe losing some of the rigidity aspects of it. Like you have to follow this process. Like, oh, let's just figure out what's, what works today. But also sometimes in big companies, you got to follow the process. So after, so you're doing Corn Ferry and then what year was that? Uh, May of 19 until March of 20. And what, what happens in March of 20? Oh, come on. Everyone knows this. The no, COVID. What, what happened? The COVID. Oh, the COVID. No. Yeah, the COVID came and yours truly got let go with like three days, four days notice. And then I got two weeks of severance. And I was like, oh, shit. This is no good. Big time, no good. Big time, no good. Um, and so that was like, boom, back to the drawing board, right? Instead of finding lots of candidates for one role, it was the exact same thing that I had done when I got out was like, I need to find new roles for one candidate, me. And so I did the exact same process that I did getting out of the Marine Corps. I just did it again a year later. And, and so uh, did it change at all? No, it was exactly the same. It was exactly the same. It was like, okay, but I knew it. And so it was like fast. And if you look at my calendar back at that time, it's like nothing on my calendar, nothing on my calendar, nothing, nothing. And like, blam, 30 minute meetings everywhere with all sorts of people. And so what did I do? I was like, consulting roles, uh, other recruiting roles, like just the same sort of thing. And then like tech stuff, go companies, recruiters, military stuff, people I knew reaching out, all this is like blast to everything, calling people, texting people. Hey, do you have time? Would love to meet, catch up, have coffee, go, 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 go. And then I received an offer for a new role two weeks later. And what did you end up doing? I joined another executive search firm. Right. There was a ton of uncertainty in the, in the world then in the economy. If we go back, like, sure, we know what we know now. But back then, we didn't know if it was going to be like World War Z and a zombie, like everyone's going to die. We didn't know. The markets didn't know. No one knew. Hiring didn't know. And so um, I took the first opportunity that came, but it also was like a really great role. It was really great. It was a promotion in rank. It was a promotion in pay. It was like so good remote. So I took it and it was great. And I was there for a year. I'm very thankful for, uh, the team at Reigns international where I was, it was a wonderful experience. Great. I learned a lot from them, same sort of responsibility and executive search. But what had happened to me was that in that interim period, just those few weeks, because when I got out of the Marine Corps, I like head down, like I'm a recruiter, totally dedicated recruiter, recruiter, recruiter. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. This is what I do. That was the first time that I had a moment to like look up and go like, wait a minute, do I like this? Do I like what I'm doing? Do I want to keep doing this? 
because I'd just been so focused on doing that well. And I'd been there just for a little bit of time. I probably would not have looked up for a while longer, probably another like two, three years later. Um, but because I looked up, I recognized about myself is that I didn't really want to be a consultant and someone on the sideline, like calling in the plays or giving recommendations. I wanted to be the guy in the arena. I wanted to be in a business. I wanted to be figuring out myself and be in a startup or, you know, in a tech company. And so because I got let go and went to a great role that then planted a seed in me thinking like, maybe I want to change out of this industry, out of this career into a new one. And so roll that forward another year, it grew and grew. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to get, I got I want to become the guy I'm recruiting. I don't want to be the recruiter anymore. And so then I, again, ran the same dang process of like, I need to find a chief of staff role or a director of operations role because I wanted to skip the line. I didn't want to join as a account exec. I don't know. I didn't want to join as like a guy in the middle. I want to get to the top now. And so that means chief of staff roles or director of operations roles. And those are different on the size of company and who you know and like all this other stuff. So I started a passive search for an opportunistic search for an opportunity like that. Four months goes by. I got to receive an offer for a director of operations role, decided to pass on it because it wasn't perfect. It wasn't great because I was comfortable. The best time to find a new job is when you have a job. It's the best time. Okay. Because you get to take your time and choose one that you really want compared to the one that you need. Um, and so then a few months after that, again, met Liz, who's the founder here at High Operator, where I am today. We really matched. The company was exciting. The technology is exciting. And so I joined. I've been here for over almost coming up on two years now. Why do you think that the chief of staff role has aligned so well with your, with you? Because yeah. I remember you and I had a conversation when you were looking for a new role when you were with Reigns and you were just, you were really talking about kind of what you said, which is just like, I'm a little bit more aware of my personal values. And I know that this isn't aligning as well as I want it to be. Um, so why do you think that that chief of staff role aligns so well with you now? It reminds me very much of the XO position in a company, in a unit. Because I don't have command of any function, any one thing, but I have influence over a lot. And I represent the CEO in their absence and around the company. And so it's just like an XO. I loved it. I love being an XO um, to influence an organization. And so what I believe is one of my superpowers is... Um, taking a lot of uncertainty, chaos, multiple inputs, variables, and things within any a situation, understanding the priorities of leadership, understanding the resources and the capabilities like training, and then matching those and saying without a lot of direction of like, I, I can see everything that's here. I can see what's affecting it. I know where we're trying to go. And then saying like, this is how we're going to get there. That's what I think I'm really good at. And that's what a really effective in my mind, chief of staff can do. Now, 
chief of staff is a really squishy title because a chief of staff can range from a glorified assistant to a massively strategic partner to the CEO. And so that's a huge spectrum of what that is. Um, and you just have to find something that fits your vision and their vision. And that's just what it worked out for me. Um, but I would, I would definitely advise people like if you say, I want to be a chief of staff and you're coming out of the military into the civilian sector, it's going to be incredibly difficult and hard to do because you don't know the lingo yet. I took, I had two years of hosting podcasts like this, essentially with the highest level C-suite officers in enterprise and B2B software. And so I learned from them over and over. Why were you good at sales? Why are you bad at sales? Why are you a good CFO? Why are you a bad CFO? I mean, every different function I had tens and tens of conversations around. And so I knew enough. I knew how to talk the talk. Um, and then being the chief of staff gave me the opportunity to take all of the, let's say like walking, all of the action oriented things I knew from the Marine Corps, all the talking things from being able to learn that in recruiting to do those together. Something that sticks out to me is, so you talked about what you think your superpower is. You've talked about things like you want a long leash uh, in a job that you're looking for. You know the things that you like. Uh, and what that tells me is that you've built enough self-awareness to be able to define what your strengths are. And also, at least from a job perspective, what are your internal values that you're trying to align to the role that you want? How did you build that awareness of self to be able to do that? That's really hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to think about yourself. It's hard to understand yourself, period. Um, I would, when I drove into base, which is about like a 20 minute drive for me out of the south side of Camp Lejeune into the headquarter or what do we call it? I don't know, the office. Um, oftentimes I'd drive without music on, without a podcast. And just like, I'm going to think about this. You have to set aside time to like, I'm going to think about this. What do I like? What do I not like? What do I want to do? Because if you always are constantly like medicating yourself on stimulus, you don't take time to think about yourself or fuck or like anything at that rate. So um, you must set aside intentional time to do the difficult task of trying to understand yourself. That's what I would say. And then when it's close enough, go for it because you're not going to like, no, for sure. You got to try. I'm on my third job already. Right. And like, I'm happy about each step. You just have to go for it. It's so like when it's good enough, go test it. And then if it's no good change. So that's how I, I figured that out. I mean, dude, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. What's important, you know, constantly reassessing, making sure that things are important. So you don't drift and like look up one day and be like, I hate everything. I hate all of this. The only way that doesn't happen is if you have intentionality around your relationships, around your family, around what you're spending your time on, your priorities. You just have to reassess it often. And what does that reassessment look like for you? You still drive to work in silence? Yeah, sometimes. 
Yeah, it's a, you know, I think everyone finds their own technique. You'll see people say like, yeah, my wife and I like, we'll sit down once a month and, you know, talk about, you know, highs, lows, changes, stuff like that, whatever. But you need to figure out something for you. Like what, what's, what's enough now? I think one thing that helps with this also that most we don't do anymore is writing. Get out your little book yourself and write down like, this is what I care about. These are my priorities. This is what I like. If you write it, try. I bet you it's harder than you think. And I mean, you can't just ask ChatGPT to do it. For yeah, no, you can, and it'll do it. And you'd be happy to do it. And guess what? Facebook, Instagram, all the social media stuff, everything else, your friends, people, the whole world is going to tell you what you think you're about, but you got to go do it yourself. When you're talking about having the friends and the community and your family to kind of check you when you're taught, when you're doing this reassessment, um, what has, you talked about it before with your gym, with your church, uh, as you have continued to build out this mosaic what does community look like to you in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. So here's something that's interesting about community, right? Like what is community? Community is a group of people that have like common values. What anchors values? You got to figure that out for yourself, right? What is going to be something that you share with people that is like transcends just what you're current interests are for today. That's like community in many ways. Um, now in making friends in that community, right? The sense of, when I say community, it's like someone that I can rely upon, someone that's like in my tribe, someone that I can like go to or will drop something to come to me. That's what I think of as community. Um, what's interesting about that is trying to create new friends as an adult. No one talks about this. And it was, I read in a book, I can't remember which one, so it's not my idea, but it, it rings true, is that you need, the the reason you were able to make these like great friends when you think back on like middle school and high school, like those are my best friends, they're so good, or like maybe college, what you had was unstructured free time. You would say like, hey bro, come on over, we'll play video games. And then 15 hours would go by, they'd be there. Or you'd go do something else or like, you just go like throw a ball around. I remember one of my best friends back in the Naval Academy who'd passed, who's passed away now. Um, we would just like throw a tennis ball around. Like really fool, like kind of like childish things, but this unstructured free time is what helped us to just become acquainted and become friends and become like real friends. And so when you move into the civilian sector, our lives are so segmented and transactional, like on a schedule, like if you just go to dinner, you go to dinner, and you end and you just talk about like dinner things, or you like go to the gym, you just talk about gym things. And my encouragement to anyone listening is like, choose someone who like you're having a nice time with. Like, I think there's potential here because you can feel it. If you're in a relationship, it's harder because you got to find someone who has like a wife and a partner or like whatever, two people that match with you and your person. So you got to get like four people to kind of match. Um, and schedule structure, unstructured free time. Like, Hey, <laughs> you gotta, you yeah. gotta make you have to, it's like intentionality. Yeah. No, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Cause it's like a paradox. It like unstruck structure, <laughs> unstructured free time. It just yeah. sounds like a paradox. It's funny. 
Well, here, here's how it works. Hey, yeah, come on over Saturday morning. I'll get donuts at 10. And we'll see where the day goes. Yeah. Like that. Like, hey, like maybe, and they're like, I don't know. Maybe we'll stay for lunch. Like, we'll just see how it goes. Like, let's just, if we hang out all day, like, cool, right? That. And like, let it run. And so you structure this in comparison. Like, oh, we'll be over at dinner. Like, if you go to dinner, it always ends pretty soon. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my like, figure out how to like have structured, intentional, it's kind of the structured part, unstructured free time. And that allows for the opportunity of a friendship to be developed. And you have to try to be friends with someone. It's not going to, you think that it came organically. Like it just happened with your buddies from high school or college. It didn't just happen. It happened because you spent unstructured free time with them and just, you know, shot the breeze and you became friends. You created an opportunity for that to grow. And that's what you don't think about as an adult. You're like, oh, it's just going to happen. It doesn't. You got to make it happen. I think that's a really good piece of information because we've had people on the podcast who have lamented to the struggles of finding friends as an adult, which is, I think, for a lot of people difficult. And I it think it's hard. cool that you're, I think it's cool that you're giving some level of structure and direction to it. So I really appreciate that. Um, as you, especially as you are now moving into a chapter of your life where you're a dad, now you're a double dad, double dad. How do you, yeah. Um, I, one thing that I think is really interesting for people in the military is the, our job supplies us with a significant amount of purpose because it exists in like the monolith where the military is purposeful and you just happen to do a job that's tied to the military. That's, that's kind of how I, I view it. And then you leave and then you have the mosaic and purpose is derived from many different places. But I think a trap that people fall into when they leave the military is, Oh, my job gave me purpose in the military. So it's, it needs to out on the outside too. Mm -hmm. Um, how are you deriving holistic purpose in your life, especially like where are you getting purpose in your life from now outside of your job? It's changed. It's changed. How has it changed? Yeah. Like when, when I was, uh, an executive search consultant and recruiting, I wasn't as into it. And so I spent more time at the gym. Now I didn't like sacrifice excellence in that role, but that's where I spent my time, right? Like where you spend your time, like you, you want to know someone's priorities, look at their calendar. And so you live out your priorities. And if you don't know what your priorities are, like look at your calendar, run an assessment, like tally up how many hours you spend doing whatever. Um, and so my priorities more like friends and my wife before the kids and but now if I look at it, it's like, I spend a lot of time at work. I enjoy what I'm doing. It's a new like hobby of mine. And then spending time with my boys, which I do. And I spend time with Anne, my wife, like you, sh you know, when I get home and then more in the evening. And so how do you find it? I think you find it by reflecting on your current behavior. Look back, see what you've been doing. And then go like, huh, is that true? And if it's not, then recalibrate and then recalibrate and recalibrate, recalibrate. And those like keep correcting it until those line up. 
and you can do that intentionally, like forward looking, like I want my priority to be uh, my faith and then my family and then my job. Uh, and so you say, like, okay, that's what I want. Cool. Let's see what you've been doing. It's different or it's not. And then like, how do we make these changes and then start behaving that way? Like behave the way and behave like the person you want to be. Try it out and you'll be there before you know it. For people who are getting out of the military, what do you think is the biggest thing that they should be focusing on in term, like outside of getting a job? What do you think are the, what's the biggest thing that they should be focusing on? Um, the biggest thing that people should focus on is to point them so themselves towards the ideal and then pursue that. That's it. Right. Mm. Orient, orient yourself towards the ideal and what that means to you. Truth whatever excellence is like true character, point yourself towards that, identify it first off, look for it, find it. Mm -hmm. And then just orient yourself towards that. Whether that's in a job, whether it's in relationships in your family, in your free time, maybe you, you're not going to go work right away. You're going to just, I don't know, go on an adventure. Fine. While you're doing that point towards that, 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 North star and have that be your guide. Like that, that's mm. the advice. And you have to intentionally do that. And people who don't do that are the ones that are lost in this very metaphoric sense of being lost is that they haven't identified or chose what their ideal is. And that doesn't, if you don't at least point towards something, you can't pursue anything. What do you mean when you say ideal? Are you talking about like an ideal of yourself or like something that you want to become or just the idea of like the idea itself? What do you mean by ideal exactly? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's kind of like this like tough term to capture of like, like what is capital T truth? Like the proper noun of truth. What is the proper noun of character? What is the, you know, who is the, what are the, what's the, the attributes of the, the capital C proper noun citizen that you want to be. Um, and so I would say it's like someone who is trustworthy, someone who is disciplined, someone who is reliable, someone who is dependable, someone who is honest, someone who, you know, like these different things, choose those character traits and then orient yourself towards those. And that's it. Just orient yourself towards it. And then find yourself like, what would that person do right now? Like you wake up, like, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Well, that person, this fictional me, this potential me way out there, that's this like 
hyper discipline, hyper person that's like involved in these things. Like, what, what, what's like a fraction of what they would do today? They would do this. Well, go do it. Fake it. And before you know it, like the habit of action will become habit of thought or habit of thought becomes habit of action. Habit of action becomes character traits or like or action becomes thought becomes character. Like do it. Just try, 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 try. Then it becomes what you're thinking. And if you think of it so much, then it's like who you become. And I do think that our minds and personalities are such that you can become what you want if you stay dedicated and orienting yourself towards that. Great advice. And thank you for clarifying uh, what you meant. The last question that I want to ask you about is uh, we've talked about community a lot. We've talked about uh, having these ideals uh, to align yourself, being aligned, moving forward, um, a lot of forward momentum. What advice would you give to somebody who is stuck mm. or isolated? How does that, what would you tell that person? If someone feels stuck or isolated is I would encourage them to say that the first piece is that this is temporary. That you're not going to feeling stuck sucks. And feeling isolated sucks. And that's a shitty feeling. One. Two, this is not forever. Hmm. It's not forever. And the piece that follows that is what one little thing can you do today that might help push it to not be that way? Hmm. And that's it. So it's like, look, it's okay to feel stuck and isolated. It sucks. This is also not forever. And you can do this. You don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to be perfect tomorrow. But what you must know is that you are responsible for taking the first step. And so take the first step. And it's the idea of like micro goals is like, just take that, take one step today. That's it. And tomorrow will worry about itself. It's enough to worry about. So one step today. And then when we get to tomorrow, we're going to take one step. And that's it. Yeah. And I wouldn't think about anything past that uh, for someone who's stuck or feeling isolated. Yep. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's right. Yes, exactly. exactly I it. think, uh, I think that, so true. And the one thing that I'll add to what you said is if you are out there and you are listening to this and you do feel stuck or you do feel isolated and it is because of your military transition, understand that the emotions that you're feeling are not rare. Like you're not, you're not, this is not a unique thing that you're feeling. We've all, we all feel what you're feeling to some degree, because this is a tough thing to go through mm -hmm. and you're not alone. Find people to talk to and don't be ashamed of what you're feeling because it's, it, it is a natural part of moving from something that you were wholly dedicated to, to something with almost no structure. Yeah. And so 
it's okay to feel the way that you feel. And like, uh, like Wayne said, um, small changes over time. And this does not, this isn't your life. This is just a moment in time that will pass. Mm. So, Bro, it's been so good talking to you. It's yeah. great. Like, yeah. I feel, I feel like we've done, I feel like we've done this before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've done a lot. Thank you. But- yeah. Thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah. Thank you for taking the time to be uh, vulnerable, to give your life advice um, and to tell your story to everybody out there. Um, I'm, if you, uh, if you are listening and you really like uh, what Wayne has to say, um, check out the discovery funnel. It's uh, he gives some absolutely phenomenal advice on how to think through what your next thing that you're going to be doing in your life is. I think it's a wonderful compliment to this podcast. And uh, we both really think that it's information that will be beneficial to you. So Wayne, thank you again for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, And to everyone else who is listening, thank you so much for taking the time. If you like what we're doing here, I'd ask that you subscribe to the channel, share with veterans and service members who need to hear this and we will see you on the next time see you next time on the post-military podcast peace